yes, uh, my name is Steve Hines, uh, and my company is uh, a not-for-profit uh, called the uh, Practical... Well, there are actually two names, Jason, the Practical Environmentalist and the Pragmatic. And ener uh, the energy pragmatist. Well, the energy pragmatist is the reason for the phone call today oh. because uh, my my understanding is through our uh, March Madness Tournament Selection Rules Committee that you've lodged a complaint along with Joe Dancy from down at Texas A&M about the rules and regulations, the fairness, the ethics committee. Boy, I tell you. We, that, well, that complaint was 47 pages long, Stephen Hines. I tell you, boy, you got blown up by Night Industries in the first round. And by the way, folks, we're we're way behind on our podcast today. So, you know, one of the first games that happened in our March Madness bracket was the Energy Pragmatist as a 15 seed taking on Night Energies, Night and Industries, sorry, Night and Industries as a two seed. And uh, and you know, rightfully so, because we, you know what, as Mr. Stephen Hines and Mr. Joe Dancy, um, Stephen Hines, of course, is on the phone with us. I did not post the rules, and I'll tell you why. First of all, you, you, you did, isn't that true? You questioned the rules behind this. Well, of course, because <laughs> you're a pragmatist, you're just like, hey, and, listen, and you I, can't. So, well, and, I, and I don't remember playing. <laughs> So that 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 might be the most real part of all of this that you don't remember playing because that's more that that's more like real life than I think the average person realizes these days. But let's get back to so what happened was of course with March Madness is we were going to do something fun and do the first sixty four teams and match them with a team in the tournament and we were going to do those some ping pong balls and the whole deal and say okay we 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 do this and oh look at this Belmont goes with, oh, MBI Energy Services. And then wherever Belmont was in the bracket, we were going to put it in there and, you know, Kansas. And, you know, we were going to actually basically use the real college teams, take those out, and then put the March Madness Crude Life Energy teams in. And then, of course, based how the regular tournament played out, that was how ours was going to play out. So from my perspective, Mr. Energy Pragmatist Stephen Hines, this wasn't supposed to be any work. <laughs> I, I wasn't supposed to have any work behind this. I was supposed to ride on the, you know, the coattails of March Madness. <laughs> well, and it was a great idea. Uh, so uh, it's too bad that uh, we had to shut down the country for a couple of weeks or a month. Well, and, and, you know, honestly, you know, the reason I did not shut down the March Madness tournament is because I thought this is this would be something fun that we all could do. And so what I did do was the first round, and I'm going to now on Friday, uh, I am going to actually video this so people can see it. Because like I said, you know, I mean, when when, when people, uh, self-respecting people and uh, <laughs> other respected people like yourself and Joe Dancy, not to mention the fact that you guys have over 20, 25, 30,000 followers on LinkedIn, so you guys are also social media influencers so i got to know my role there uh we're going to video it and what the here's how we did the methodology for the first round now we're going to do a different methodology each each round but i will post it ahead of time now keep in mind it's just me here so right now uh, i got you know my intern provolone but he he doesn't get paid so he only helps when he wants um what we did is we did yahtzee okay four okay. 
four quarters in a basketball game and you roll the dice. You get five, you know, the five rolls, Yahtzee. You add up those, that's your points for the quarter. And then because of the seeding, we added the points of the seed on the score of the Yahtzee rolls at the end. So, we, you know, you do four rolls, four quarters, you add on the seeds, that's your final score. You can only get... It was easy. This sounds like a lot of work to me. Oh, it is a lot of work. I mean, I, I, have, to, I have to roll dice. And then I have to, and then I have to do math and, and I have to type in things. And then I, I tell you, it was a lot more work than I ever really wanted. But, uh, I, you know, I appreciate you protesting and I appreciate Joe Dancy protesting and, you know, and, and actually I, I think this is going to be a lot of fun to be honest, this tournament. And, you know, you mentioned that you used to play a little bit back in the day, huh? Oh, I, uh, you bet. You bet. I was a player. Uh, and uh, once I moved back, uh, out to New York to go to school at Columbia, uh, I was there with my best friend, and he and I would go down into uh, Riverside Park and play. Uh, and there were, you know, a lot of uh, great uh, one-on-one black basketball players, but nobody played together. So we always did very well. <laughs> now my my we guess is back and forth. My, my guess is you're a taller guy. What are you about six three? About six two. Six two. Uh, lengthy. You've got some arms, and so I, I bet you had a sky hook back in those days. Oh, I did. I, I had. Yes, indeed. Well, I, as I, I think I mentioned to you, uh, Kevin McHale really uh, uh, made my game uh, uh, sort of played it in the NBA because, of course, he was ten inches taller, so or nine inches taller. But uh, he worked without the ball mainly. Uh, he uh, played position. And he was impossible to block a shot. You know, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, of course, on the other side of the the the, the country, had the sky hook. That boy, you couldn't even no, stop. Couldn't. Well, and he was he was more of a ballet player, I think, uh, than Kevin McHale. That's a good way to put it, actually, because he did that, that that little leg he had that that protected him from blocking, along with that sky hook. Boy, it was like it was it was like a ballet. It was a work of art. Oh yes, yes. Uh, in some ways, we we miss him. Uh, and, and, well, he's still, you know, he's still visible, and he's he's a very smart guy. He is. Now let's transition to real life. This coronavirus, yeah. of course, you know, it it canceled the March Madness tournament along with a lot of other aspects of life. You know, the the one thing that I am just, I honestly, it keeps me up at night is how quickly the shutdown happened how easily the people self shut down, how they self quarantined, how, you know, this is very much a manufactured consent type of a thing that happened. But what really worries me is, is the state of small business when this is going to be all said and done. I, I just, I'm so worried for small business because, well, a variety of reasons, but uh, what what are you seeing with this uh, coronavirus? You know the world of energy. You've been covering energy for a long time. You've been covering time. the world of uh, telecommunications and communications. So obviously, you know the uh, ramp up of telecommunications that's going to happen when this is well. As of right now, it's happening as we speak. People are getting trained on it this morning. Well, and uh, you know, there's a, it's they've come up with a new word, Jason, uh, telemedicine, which is kind of what I've been talking about. One of the uh, the uh, offshoots, if you will, of the uh, integration between energy 
and um, you know high speed and the ability to go a hundred miles away and uh, and this this would really be important in poorer parts of the world. Uh, you, where, you know what's uh, interesting about the telemedicine is just to do a little quick sidebar here, and uh, and I don't want to you know get get into a different political discussion, but um, that telemedicine happened with Obama's Health Care Act, whatever that whole controversial thing was. In there, there was something about telemedicine, and the cannabis industry took advantage of that in California. <laughs> And so there, there was doctors that were doing telemedicine to people in different states over Skype, and then they would ship them flour of cannabis right in the mail from that California office. So, um, anyway, you know, just some industries figure out those loopholes right away, and then the rest of the society figures out, oh, okay, there was a reason for that. We need the telemedicine. And I, I, I um, anyway, I just wanted to point that out because I figured you'd get a kick out of that story. Oh, absolutely, um, and you know, uh, one of my uh, one of my favorite, uh, let's say, TV series called Wire, The Wire, uh, uh, was uh, about Baltimore in the early two uh, thousands, and the the the, uh, the crooks and the drug dealers figured out how to use uh, the internet and technology and cell phones before the cops did. And I think that's really what's going, you know, that's what happened with this. But now, uh, simply because of the, uh, let's say, the uh, overload on the uh, medical system, not just in this country, but, you know, internationally, uh, it makes more and more sense. So you're starting to see, they're going to start using these opportunities more. And I think this kind of, you know, jump-started a lot that I see coming anyway. Uh, what do you make behind the narrative already that this is helping the environment? Uh, we've been pretty vocal, and and you've uh, uh, you, you have as have as well about just the narrative behind the, the the environmental movement against fossil fuels, and that's what I'm specifically talking about here. Is that specific context that narrative? And I already am seeing the narrative come that you know people not going to work and not moving around is helping the planet I, i'm seeing some sprinkles already of that are you yeah. seeing those well, yeah sure i mean i i you know i it really offends me uh, a harvard professor i uh, did uh, a long interview uh on the integration between climate change and uh and this uh, downturn and the you know, what is it called? The uh, coronavirus. And it's just silliness, Jason, as you and I both know. Uh, I, I'm hoping that one of these fine days, and sooner rather than later, that uh, a lot of the people who are trying to make every story into something about them will finally get exposed for uh, what uh, Tom Sawyer used to call stretchers. That is lies. <laughs> Uh, to make them, you know, to improve how they look. Uh, but it's very embarrassing. Uh, you know, intellectually speaking, there's, there's, they have no girth anymore. I mean, even the New York Times, I mean, you can go down the, you know, the CNN even did a, you know, a series and a story on, on this integration between the uh, coronavirus and emission reductions. And, and now they're talking about China because they had, you know, that, 
period where they stopped working and they're, they noticed by satellite that there's fewer clouds in the air or, or smog. What is really what is it? You know, in China, it's really smog. It's it ha- this is not a sign of global warming or climate change. It's good old fashioned smog. Well, and that, that's one of the reasons I wanted to bring it up was I'm starting to see the framework of this come out early. So I wanted to try to nip it in the bud any way I possibly can. I don't know. I mean, you know, we've got good listenership here at The Crude Life, but, you know, we're not setting records yet like Ron Burgundy in the podcast world. But I, I, I do think that it's something that needs to be watched. I think those people who are in charge of uh, combating that should probably get on board really quick with that because the narrative, like I said, is already starting. I guess, you know, getting back to the coronavirus and we're talking about narratives and and responsibility of the media, one of the points I've been trying to point out that I do wish the mainstream media would point out is there is going to be an increase of coronavirus cases just because they're testing for them now. They have not been testing for them up until like last week. So there's going to be a spike because people are testing for them. What do you make of that comment, Steve Hines? Well, I, I think that's absolutely right. Uh, and, you know, and it's uh, 24 hours a day now. Uh, you know, it's become, you know, the story du jour or de week or de month. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the major news uh, right now is centered around uh, this um, uh, transition, if you will, uh, from uh, from sort of feeling a little fat and sassy to, uh, uh, as you put it earlier, you know, having to worry about small businesses. I noticed that this has stunned me. Uh, you, uh, you've been watching the price of oil. Uh, Canada's oil right now is selling for $8 a barrel. Wow. Think about that for a second, Jason. Now, they have their own distribution problems and they have their own environmentalists and some interference from the American uh, environmental groups and foundations, you know, spending money up in Canada to keep them pure. Uh, but it's it's just amazing. I mean, you, you've been watching it. I, I, I listened to you, just so you know, uh, and I think you've done a great job of coverage. And I think I think uh, you're, you're you're speaking out more, and I think and editorializing, which I think you have every right to do. Well, it was time to do that. By the way, however you have your phone on the last uh, thirty seconds, it sounds much clearer than you had it before. It sounded a little bit muffled earlier. Now it sounds very clear. Just a heads up on that. Uh, I, I do. I, I, I didn't have it moved. Well, there, there we go. It's muffled again. So, however you had it before, just. Put it up to your mouth, maybe. Okay. <laughs> okay. I, I did. I did want to ask you about small business. You you've been yeah. around for a long time. You're over forty years old, so you're considered old. <laughs> and uh, oh, I found that out. Jason, seventy-five. Oh, by the way, I found that out when you hit forty, and you start to say the word forty. It doesn't even matter if you say one, two, three, four, nine. As soon as you start the word fort. Boy, the people's face, they just tune, tune it out. They don't care. <laughs> you're old, man. Too late, man. Your, your ship has sailed. Anyway, uh, I, I did want to ask you about small business, though, because you've seen, you know, you've seen recessions. You've seen boom and bust cycles in oil and gas. 
you've, like I said, your background of telecommunications and communications. So you've seen uh, disruptions in marketplaces and you've seen not only disruption in marketplaces, but startups. And so basically you've seen it all. I, well, I I've seen, Street, I, 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 one second. So I worked I've, on Wall Street in that era and I did venture capital for so, four years. Exactly. So you've seen all these different things. I've covered a lot of industries in the last 25 years of my experience in the media. And so I feel like I've got this 5,000 foot view in a lot of different sectors. I'm no expert by any means, but I will say this. I do think small business is not gonna be the same when this is all said and done. Because number one, when I look at Boeing, no matter what happens to Boeing, they're gonna get bailed out. I, I, I really believe that, that, that the, our government has proven time and time again that you're too big to fail. But if, yep. you're, but if you're a small business, there ain't anybody looking out for you anymore at all. And that really concerns me because right now, I'm looking at some of the federal grants and money's coming in, you know, and, and they're not, it's not, they're going to economic development corporations and they're going to, they're not even going to small businesses for the most part. And, and it's, it's kind of a little bit of word play because in the energy world, oh my word, so much of it's small business. So much of it is just small business. And I'm so worried about this, this industry. Um, Talk to me a little bit about what you're seeing about the state of small business. Well, I think you're absolutely, uh, you're on to something. I think that uh, I, I listened to a couple of your discussions with Joe Dancy, and, uh, you know, you were talking about the transition for the energy business. And, you know, it's never going to go back the way it was. Uh, and, and it will continue to uh, be as much a technology an information play uh, in real time as, you know, uh, as any other business. But in some ways, uh, I too worry about small business because I've, I've watched what you guys have done in North Dakota. I mean, speaking of small businesses, you know, with a few exceptions, I mean, you're, you're a state of small businesses and, and you, and you beat everybody to the punch in a certain way. Because you didn't, they they didn't. You were flyover country, and nobody watched you. And you you took fracking from A to Z before anybody would seem to notice. So I'm gonna throw in a little bit of my shale play profitness or my uh, you're just downright craziness. You know when people roll their <laughs> eyes, and well, the, the, you know the, the profits I always get called crazy right away. And I've just there's I have so much on record now over the past 10 years on interviews that I, you know, they're, like I said, these are emails I get people telling me that, boy, you called it, you called it, you called it. And then one person flat out said, boy, you're a shale play prophet. And I went, that's, I'm using that. That's, that's mine going forward now. Anyway, I, noticed uh, that I you know, I, you've done a really, a, a, you're a very creative guy. So I, you know, uh, like and, and lively, you're you're lively. Well, hey, listen, you know what? You, you you talk enough, and a blind squirrel's gonna find a nut from time to time. So you know what? You take your squirrel nuts when you can, and you move on, right? And, well, uh, true, but you know you you know the nice thing is, and I think you even mentioned it uh, either on a podcast or maybe in some of your writing. But uh, the uh, discussions from a couple of years ago that you and I did, or three years ago, I mean, they're still timely right now. We, we just happen to be uh, ahead of the curve on a lot of this. 
Oh, our environmental talks from several years ago are still spot on. And they it just, are. I mean, I mean, it may, makes me think a lot of the leaders should, should go back and listen to it because it is. It's it's still ahead of the curve, actually. It still is. Here's, here, here's what I'm going to ask you, Steve. So you, you know as well as I do that uh, foreign companies have been, you know, fracking in, in the Bakken and down in the Permian and probably in the Marcellus, too. Uh, foreign companies have been building petrochemical plants down in Lake Charles. And I don't know if they have in Corpus Christi, but it would make sense just because. Yeah, well, do. it's just, it, you know, when they're paying 15 bucks for natural gas and we're paying minus three dollars or two bucks, it's cheaper for a company in France to build a petrochemical plant down in Lake Charles. OK, so this is really happening. These are real things that are happening and, you know, we can talk American independence of energy all day long, but there's still foreign companies coming in and doing this. So um, with that being said, the state of small business where it's at, I just, boy, I take a look at a lot of the real estate out there. And I think of a lot of my friends that own like Airbnb property. And I don't know how much longer they can keep, you know, 10, 15, $20,000 a month payments on hotels and and investment properties out of state that they're not occupying and that people can't get to. So when I think well, of, you know, that ripple and I think of, you know, the server that can't pay the rent. And so therefore the landlord is impacted. And, I, and I'm just saying, you know, this is just immediate problems. And, well, um, and there is a food chain, which the, is kind of what you're talking to, about. Totally. And, that, and that's where I'm getting at to where when the economy resets, because it, it, it already is going to whether, the, as soon as Vegas said we're shutting down, that meant, okay, the economy is going to reset somehow. We don't know how yet, but it's going to. Um, yep. I do wonder oh, if, if like, it's just going to be like a mad, 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 mad world. Remember that movie? A mad, mad, mad world? Are you kidding? I love that movie. I do wonder if it's going to be like that with real estate at some point. Because when you have so many Airbnb investors that are just going to be giving their keys back to the bank because, you know, they... They have to, and you've got all this different stuff. It makes me wonder if if shopping malls aren't going to be bought up by you know sheiks from Saudi Arabia and. No, they're they're closing. You know, uh, I I got involved with a couple of the and uh, closed malls, and I did. I was a business broker for a while, and and a commercial real estate broker. I, I have a fairly colorful past, but uh, you know, I'm I'm watching the. Uh, I'm watching this, the strip centers and the, uh, the indoor malls, with exceptions, like New Jersey and you know maybe uh, Phoenix and Southern California. They are uh, nobody wants them anymore. They're getting converted into, you know, mail order businesses and all of that. So I, I you know, I think it's going to be much like the video store. You know, it, it was enormous for a while. It had enormous value, but as you put it, uh, people, you know, gave the keys back to the landlord. But that's but that's what I mean. They're going to be a lot. There's going to be a lot of property that is going to be very inexpensive. And the energy industry generally, you know, you can see the trends happen first. And the trend was, as you could see, the foreign companies coming into America and just basically integrating in and assimilating in. I think that's going to happen in real estate when this is all said and done. Where um, you know, there's going to be big, bi- well, there's gonna, just going to be a lot of big buildings for sale. That's all. You bet. And, you bet. and it and makes not, me wonder. Not many buyers. Not many buyers. No, no. But the, but the thing is, the wealth is still going to be out there on the planet. That's the thing, you know. And, and so we'll probably see 
a lot more mergers and acquisitions in terms of small business, you know, a lot more companies being bought out and of course bankrupt and then getting, you know, pillaged afterwards and that sort of thing. I'm just really worried about uh, small business. And I was talking with um, Brandon Davis with Swan Energy and, you know, he talked about the, the just the idea um, or the not the idea, but the fact that somebody's even mentioning nationalizing oil and, we flat out said, boy, we are living in a time where everything seems to be on the table. Every discussion. What a bad idea that is. James. Oh, totally. But, I mean, it's it's already being floated out there. I know. Well, so, but, you know, you know, it's the chattering class. Uh, and as you were saying earlier about, you know, uh, taking the latest health, international health problems and making it into a story about climate change, et cetera. I mean, so... In some ways, uh, you know, the the more time people have to talk about this, the crazier the ideas get. Uh, so, you know, I, I am hoping that uh, guys like yourself and the people you interview, you've been interviewing, uh, are heard more often because there's a real sanity uh, to uh, to a more practical approach to all of this. Uh, and and a little faith in uh, human uh, ingenuity, and you you've watched us. You know, I I think you've been doing the Bakken now for about uh, ten years, right? I mean, you you know what you've seen. I mean, you know, I could see you in a rocking chair with a with a corn cob pipe talking to twenty year old and said, you know, talking about back then, you know, before you know before the world changed forever. Here's what I remember, but you know, I, you're, you're, uh, I think it, it, it's time for the adults to take over, and it's time for the so-called experts to to make sure to let us know that there are their expertise is in a very small area, and they're going to get washed overboard also. Here's they're, gonna, they're not going to be interviewed or well, your, you know, your phone's cutting out again, Steve. So I'm going to okay, yeah, I'm going to jump in here and okay, go ahead. And I, I'm going to say a comment that is not yeah. popular, but it's gaining popularity because the more people think about it, the more they realize how right I am. Okay, right now I get it that that this this is a that this is a problem and this is an issue, and for some reason it is a bigger issue than the flu. And it is a it's very much like in terms of the death rate, in terms of the, the the way that the contagion is, is very much like the flu. But it's being treated much more like anthrax or like a smallpox or like a SARS type of a thing. So that's not lost on me. And I'm not saying it's not important. But what I will say is when I started seeing schools close down, before the CDC and public health officials were saying to close down, I, I it, there, there was this short period of time where leadership almost could outfreak each other. Like, oh, I can, I, I, I can freak out more than you. Well, I can freak out more than you. And again, I'm not trying to downplay this, but what I don't want to get lost in all of this is there are a lot of six-figure salaried people, because at that level, you make six figures, okay? There are a lot of people that are making good money, and their lifestyle is not going to change at all, because they're going to continue to go to work. 
They're going to continue to get their checks. And all the small business owners out there are not going to have that. And so in the next month, let's say everything went back to normal. Every small business owner is going to, it might take them a year or two to rebound from this. Well, those people, those leaders and people, they go back, they, they, they don't even blip, not even a blip. And that's where real leadership comes up. And so I just wanted to get your thought on that because you've been around the block a few times and you've seen some good leaders and bad leaders. And you know me, I sometimes stick my foot in my mouth and sometimes I say the things that are not very popular, but that's why this program is the voice of the voiceless. Oh, well, and I, that's, what, that's a great name also. Uh, I think that's right. Uh, and, uh, but I think you have, you know, you've heard, my, you know what I think in a lot of this. You and I share a lot of these concerns. Now, I think with the, the virus, what the one thing that happened is that everybody realized that we can't even forget about predicting 100 years from now or 20 years from now. We can't even predict we're as bad as the weathermen right now. We can't predict what's going to happen three days from now. And if you if you trace back the last three or four weeks, I mean, everybody was waiting to see if there was a pattern. And it's 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 really being transformed in front of our eyes. And it, and everybody in the world is is stuck with the proposition that don't count on tomorrow because it may not come the way you think it is. Here's the parts that I just I keep my eye on is um, really the NBA was the first line of this where the not only did they have the first players uh, confirmed, they were kind of the besides Tom Hanks were really the first uh, celebrities in terms of household names. And the players were irrelevant. It was the NBA. And then, of course, Tom Hanks. But when the NBA canceled the season, that that sent the snowball rolling. In fact, March Madness and WrestleMania and everybody else basically cited once the NBA did it, then the, then the precedent was set. The NBA, of course, they were going to try to do the fanless experience, which shows you the value of television contracts. Um, they were going to do the fanless experience until the players got tested. Now, this is what's not lost on me is, number one, those NBA players played for several weeks. They were They had the coronavirus. The COVID nineteen, and n- none of the other players or none of the other like people that they played against got it. The testing's done, and they didn't get it. Okay, so when you think about their bumping and sweating and all everything else, well, that narrowed down the, how it's contagious. Okay, so that means you know the sneezing and the coughing and uh, the surfaces, and you put your hand on it and that sort of thing. So this is very very controllable. Okay, probably even more so than the flu. And just the so that's not lost on me. And then also, what's not lost on me is is how it what's not also lost on me though is like I said before the way they're treating this, the way that they want this very controlled, which tells me that there's more to this story than I think they're probably letting us know. Well, I'm not sure I share your uh, conspiracy theory. No, it's not a conspiracy. It's just that you know it's a little bit different that the way that they're they're treating this. That I, I think that's really more for our benefit if that makes sense that um i'm kind of trusting them a little bit on this that okay maybe we should be listening to them a little bit more well i think i think it's pretty hard to ignore right now i think it's gone from peripheral to someplace in china to where we are right now 
in our country, I mean, France, Spain, Italy, it's, you know, the demons have been unleashed and will never be the same. I mean, the world won't be the same. No. And, and, and the only question right now is, uh, especially when you have, uh, you know, two players, Russia and the Sauds, uh, who decide to get in a, can I, if I can use this word, a pissing match uh, in the middle of all of this. I mean, that was, that's not lost on anybody either. No. I mean, they just literally, it was a, uh, it was really down to two guys who, uh, who decided if you're not going to do it, I'm not going to do it either. Uh, so, it, you know, I, but, I, I don't know how long they can survive because they've lived off the fat of the land when, you know, oil was 70, 80, $100 a barrel. So their society, they've relied on their uh, keeping their power in their societies by that extra cash, and it's now gone. How long can the Russians or the Sauds or any of the Middle Eastern com- countries survive very long, uh, their societies survive very long, if they don't have a more comfortable price for their product? And, you know, getting back to the conspiracy things, I don't actually, I kind of looked up some of the conspiracy one day because it was on a news story we had, and I kind of chuckled at a lot of it. But um, I I understand there are quite a few people out there that are, um, you know, going down that path. And uh, that wasn't the, just, that, that wasn't my point. I just wanted to make sure anybody listening knows I, you know, I wasn't going down that path of, of that. I was just pointing out that, um, you know, when you look at how how contagious it is, like I said, if you use the, you know, the NBA example, you know, you did it. You, you, you had guys sweating and bumping up against each other. And if it didn't, you know, if it didn't transfer that way, that was a good sign. And it was a good sign by the contagion aspect, but also um, it was a good sign because now they know more precisely what it is. The real scary part, though is how apparently I read a news story where it went from animal to animal, then animal to human, and then human to human. And to see it mutate like that, that was a little bit concerning because, you know, how do you control the animal kingdom? So Well, and it's the way the, uh, the Chinese, their open markets, you know, they really, they uh, created the environment where, uh, you know, these open markets with all these animals sort of mixed together with the people themselves. I mean, uh, there is now some talk, and I don't think internationally speaking, uh, that they're going to try, you know, that somebody's going to try that World Health Association or organization is going to try and make it illegal for these open markets in China. And I, I'd like to say, well, good luck with that. Uh, yeah. We have no power over what's happening there. Yeah, it's, you know... It's it's definitely going to change things, you know, and, and, you know, if you were to reflect it, I guess, in the United States, I suppose it'd be like a farmer's market or a, um, a, flea, a flea market, but far worse. Right. I mean, where you can buy bat wings and stuff. Yeah. Well, I, I you know, I still have this image somehow, um, you know, as I've, I've been kind of watching this unfold while I continue to, you know, to, to research and pay attention to the energy world, as you know environmental or telecommunication watching it sort of come together but uh, there was some footage showing um, a uh, a chinese uh, guy uh, in a walk cooking a live dog 
you know, I mean, he's walking, and I, W-O-K, a a dog, and it's still alive. You know, it's... um, Well, that's an odd odd thing. You know, it's very painful to watch, I promise you. Well, I was going to say, we should, uh, I was looking at the clock, and we got to get running here, so I was going to have you plug your business and how you make a living these days and, and, and what how what kind of services you have, et cetera. So website and the whole deal, if you got one? Yep. Well, I do, although I've been working on uh, doing an update. But, man, uh, as you know, most people, it's funny. The, the environmentalists, that's where all the money is going. The private sector somehow just doesn't value us as much as they do the Sierra Club. You know, maybe I, you, I sent this to you, Jason. Uh, the Nature Conservatory raised a billion dollars what, three years ago, and that's just in donations. Think about that for a second. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and uh, you know, we watch friends like Tom Shepstone or Jim Willis or any number of people scratching out a living. It just it, there's a lack of fairness here right now. And uh, I think that uh, I think you and I have to be apostles, you know, for a, a more sane approach that goes back to the old-fashioned American values. 